Ozcert would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, and any First Nations people listening today. We also want to acknowledge that these lands have always been places of learning and sharing of information, and that is the essence of this podcast. Welcome to the Ozcert Podcast. Share today, save tomorrow. I'm your host, Anthony Caruana. The 2023 conference is behind us, and that means we're starting Season 3 of the podcast. We're all super excited about the 2023-2024 season of Share Today, Save Tomorrow. To kick off Season 3, I chat with the amazing Rachel Toback, where we talk about our shared history of performing surgery on rats and then hacking humans. It's a fascinating discussion where Rachel shares her tips on how to boost the human side of people, processes and systems to make your organisations more secure. Then it's over to my co-host Beck, who chats with OzCert director David Stockdale about upcoming OzCert events, the member survey, and how the world's best CERT will be working more closely with members to help you even more. Today I'm joined by Rachel Toback. How are you doing, Rachel? I am doing great. Thanks so much for interviewing me. Oh, look, it's a pleasure. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about where you're from and how you actually got into this? Because I know there's a bit of an interesting story about how you even got into this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm from San Francisco right now, originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So someone's listening to this from Pittsburgh, PA. Hello, a fellow Yinzer. I'm not going to do the accent, I promise. Maybe at the end. It feels like you've got a bit of Californian in there somewhere. <laughs> I can kind of pick I've, it up. I've been there for a little over 10 years. So yeah. I think there's a little valley growing in me now. <laughs> um, and how I got into it. So I started my education in neuroscience. So I have a degree in neuroscience and behavioral psychology. Worked in a rat lab. And used to do surgery on rat brains. Yes, that's right. By the way, never once killed a rat. Succeeded in so all of So can I tell surgery. you, like, this is way off track. Okay, go But in it. my undergrad degree, I did, I did also do surgery on you rats. Did rat surgery! I did, but sadly, um, it involved also then collecting all their blood at the end. Oh. And that's not done in a fun way. No. <laughs> so anyway, I, I you can imagine so what happens in a lab where you've got to collect all the rat's blood. Yeah, that it's is... It's not fun. No. But let's, we digress ever so slightly. <laughs> but I digress. Yeah. Rat blood. Okay. Um... From there, I was like, you know what? Rats are great, but I like people. Maybe I'll become a teacher. So I became a teacher. I taught children with disabilities for seven years. And then I thought, you know what? What if I worked in tech? So I started working at an ed tech company. And when I was there, my husband was uh, working on his, he got his master's degree in cybersecurity. And he went to DEF CON, the world's largest hacker conference. And he said, Rachel, you need to fly out to DEF CON tonight. It was already a Friday. I'm still at work. Get a ticket tonight and fly out because you're gonna love this. They hack people over the phone in a glass booth in front of an audience. You know how you always call the cable company every single year and you get the bill lowered? That's the exact same thing they're doing, but they're actually hacking. So I ended up applying and I got in, I think like 300 some people apply. They select like 13, 14 contestants. I got second place my first year. First ever time hacking in the glass booth is in front of an audience really. Um, got second the second year and second the third year, very consistent. Um, and then from there, people just started saying, hey, I saw you hack, can you come to my company? So we started working with NATO and Google and at the time Facebook, et cetera. And then you know, we LLC'd in 2017, Social Proof Security, and now we make videos and we do live events and live hacking and all of that. And it's amazing because when you kind of think about that human element, I know I've spoken to Kevin Mitnick a couple of times sure. and he talks about, and he talks about, you know, pen testing and breaking into organizations and all that stuff. And he says, whenever he gets people, he always gets in. So let's talk about what is it about 
people that makes them especially vulnerable and what can people learn to make them less vulnerable? Sure. So human beings, they have in their human being software, in our brains, right, a, se a certain set of vulnerabilities. And these vulnerabilities are in what we call principles of persuasion. If you've ever read Robert Cialdini's book, Influence, then you'll be familiar with these principles of persuasion. So human beings innately can be persuaded in a variety of ways, such as reciprocity, where I give a piece of information about myself and it makes it more likely for you to give information about yourself. Or commitment and consistency. I, th I start with really softball, easy questions with you. You get committed and consistent to trusting me, and now you basically feel awkward if you go against that in the future. So there's a series of basically vulnerabilities in the human software, our brains, that allow us to hijack the systems and convince people to do things they would never normally do. So this is almost like what you see like on TV and you watch lawyers interrogate people at a witness stand. Right. It's almost that, isn't it, where they go, you know, so what's your name? And it's an easy question. And what do you do? And right. what's an easy question? And you hit them with like five easy questions did in a row. Did you do this crime? And then it was like, <laughs> so did you knife that person? Right. And then we said, oh yeah, I did. Oh, whoops. Yeah. Is it? Is it? Is that like a really simplistic way of looking at what we're doing? Is like build confidence in the relationship and then yeah, exploit? That's right. So you basically build rapport with a person and then from there you're able to start with the exploits. You'll see a lot of kind of young buck social engineers who go in and they're like, hey, click this link for me. And it's like, that's not going to work. You need to build a little bit of rapport. I mean, maybe it'll work. <laughs> maybe 10% maybe of the time. But you're going to get caught. They're going to feel strange or off in the scenario. Whereas what we hope happens is at the end of the conversation, they thank you. Usually it's so believable hmm. what I'm doing, how I'm hacking, the way that I'm helping you or you're helping me in the, in the attack, that they thank you or I thank them. And you leave it very amicable. So when we talk about doing that and building that trust and relationship, I mean, that sounds great, you know. And I mean, you know, we're going to have a 20 or 30 minute conversation now. And I'm guessing by the end of it, we're not going to hate each other. Yeah. Um, we're not going to be throwing glasses at each other or anything I like that. <laughs> Let's hope not. That sounds to me like if you if you use that 30 minutes wisely, you would probably feel like you've got some degree of confidence of getting at least something out of me that I might have been unwilling to give you 30 minutes ago. Maybe. Is that kind of... Yeah, I think so. I think you can build rapport, I would say generally in about 30 seconds. I know that sounds really fast, but usually, you know, if you get somebody laughing or having fun with you, in about 30 seconds, the, the rapport starts and the walls start to come down and you can build a relationship and then hopefully you can get the information or the targets or the flags, whatever you're, you're going for. What are some of the things that as a, that a user in an organization can look out for as, as, as potential triggers for trying to build that rapport? You know, what's, what's the difference between someone being friendly and someone being exploitative, I guess? Yeah, I would say make sure you're aware of the goals and the common pretext. So the pretext is who we're pretending to be. You really want to always be able to imagine, what is this person who's talking to me? What is their goal? If somebody calls you up and says they're IT support and they need you to download a remote access tool so they can help you on your computer, you think, what is their goal? Okay, they're trying to do their job in IT support. Do I know this person? How can I verify that's really them and their goal? So we really have to understand what is the other person's mindset to be able to understand if we should trust them or not. And that mindset has to be verified. We need to be able to verify that person is who they say they are before we download a tool, click something, give them a password, all of these things, right? So I always recommend that people use another method of communication to verify the authenticity of the person contacting them whether over phone, text message, social media, DM, email, what have you. And I mean, like, 
um, hardware vendors and security vendors that are out there call this zero trust. Right. It's the trust but verify. I right. can't remember the exact phrase in Russian, but I know that I, I've actually learned it in Russian <laughs> once upon a time ago where it came from. But it is that idea that before you give something someone, actually just know who you're talking to or know who you're communicating with and understand that. Yeah. Um, but as humans, aren't we kind of inherently trusting when someone says they're out to do something good for us? Is that the real vulnerability at the base of all this? Is, that, is this like the zero day? Well, I would say that human beings, we don't want to beat out of them the things that make them positive, right? We want pro-social behaviors, people to be trusting, to believe one another, to be able to build friendships. So I wouldn't say that it's all bad. I would say it's good and we want people to be this way. Just be this way right after you verify authenticity. You can still be kind and politely paranoid at the same time. You can still get your job done while verifying that person is who they say they are. So how can an individual do that? Like if you're on a phone call, Mm -hmm. um, you can't see the person. Yeah. You don't know, you really don't know where they are because, I mean, it's reasonably easy now to spoof phone numbers so they look like they're local. Yeah, exactly. How do you do that as an individual? Like if something looks like it comes from a trusted phone number or a trusted email address or they ring you and they do a great story, I mean, are there, are there any telltale signs that we can kind of look out for? Yeah. Usually, like I mentioned, there's a goal. So they're trying to get money, they're trying to get you to transfer information or give them some details about you know, your software, what you're using, you know, things like that. So a lot of times if it's someone pretending to be a family member, they're looking for money. If it's someone pretending to be IT support, they're looking for you to download a tool or click a link or download some other thing for them. Um, and so all we have to do is just use another method of communication. They call you, say, sorry, I'm jumping into a meeting, I'm gonna go ahead and slack you because that's what we use at work. Now. It's very unlikely that someone has both spoofed the phone number of IT support and also has internal access on Slack. That's usually not the case. Typically we pop uh, one thing, but not everything. And oftentimes the spoofing is the easiest thing because you don't need to actually have hacked anything. You can just spoof a phone number like you know. Um, So it really comes down to understanding the technological interests of the attacker. Uh, Are they interested in gaining access to some money? Well, let's go ahead and verify that that person really is your husband or your wife or whoever hmm. uh, before going ahead and sending the money. So let's talk about this in a practical sense. You know, you do you do this for a living. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go out there and you try to social engineer organizations to help them find vulnerabilities. So right. you're effectively red teaming people or pen testing humans. That's what I do, yes. Yeah. So when you do that, like, what's the reaction like on the other side? Like if someone finds out that they've been tricked in some way like how do they react to that because like, I assume that when you're doing a red team or a pen test like this they're not aware that they're being necessarily targeted that's right yeah I don't do any negative pretexting so I never pretend to be someone who's scary or has any scary motives I think it's really important to for people to understand that you don't need to create fear in other people to create a learning moment in fact people don't learn when they're scared So what we can do is instead use some sort of positive pretext to show them this is what it looks like and create those learning moments. Typically in the moment, I don't get caught unless it's something that they want within the pen test scope. Mm. And then we get loud, as we call it, so that we can have them catch us and determine Mm. how long it takes for them to catch us. Mm. Um, But yeah, pretty often uh, either they're helping me or I'm helping them. And at the end of the call, they thank me and it goes in the report and then they learn together within our training. 
So what are some of the things that people take away at the end? Like, I don't want you to necessarily, I don't want you to give up the IP of what's in a report at the <laughs> end. Um, but, you know, I mean, there must be some high level things that kind of recur every time you work with, you know, sure. with a client. Are there some things there that, you know, maybe some lessons learned that people can take away? Yeah. The big things from technology and on the people side. So on the technology side, a lot of people reuse passwords about, I'd say, over 50 percent in my experience. And also what we see on surveys online for Google. Um, about 52% of people admit to reusing their password. That makes it really easy for me to just grab that password in a password breach repository and stuff it in as them, and gain access to their accounts. So that's a really big issue because they reuse personal breach passwords on their work accounts too. Mm -hmm. Now I have admin access at your work. Turning on multi-factor authentication, having the right multi-factor authentication for their threat model. So if they have admin access, we need to move away from SMS two-factor and towards something like AppBase or a pass key, or a FIDO key, like a hardware key, like mm. a YubiKey. Um, and then the other pieces are just really making sure that we verify identity before going ahead and going along with requests. If somebody says that they're a board member and they need access to the financial planning deck, go ahead and verify with another method of communication that that really is the board member you're talking to before sending over the deck. So a lot of these are technical solutions to human issues. Like, yeah. for example, the password issue will exist for a very long time because we still depend on passwords yeah, and sure. humans inherently want stuff they can remember right. easily. And the easiest thing to remember is one thing instead of 300 things. Sure. Um, so we have technical solutions to that called password managers and so forth and password generators and ra that randomize these things. Right. So we can throw a technical thing to this. And similarly with MFA, it's a technical solution to a, to a problem. And I think um, the other thing you mentioned there, like physical hardware keys, there's still technical problems. People use the phrase human firewall. Mm -hmm. How do we make humans into firewalls that are impenetrable or less penetrable? Yeah, I think of it like human multi-factor authentication. You have MFA for the human element of security. Somebody messages you and asks for money, do use your human-based multi-factor authentication. Check with another method of communication before going ahead and sending that money. So we need both technical MFA and human-based MFA. Awesome, I love that. Because we, we often think about, you know, people talk about email scams and things like, um, you know, business com email compromise, right. and which is the classic one where you get the, and it typically happens when a malicious actor looks on LinkedIn and discovers the CEO's jumping on a plane in an hour's time exactly. and they wait they wait till boarding time to make the call to say quick transfer the money or give me the data right. and that's the moment because it's the false urgency and all those things sure. I mean they're kind of things that potentially we can look for as well aren't they you know like implied urgency mm -hmm. that's not real um, that's right. you know, all that so there yeah, are we some use, we can use some human heuristics in this exactly yeah when you notice that something is too good to be true or too dire to be true those are some really big triggers. So something needs to be needs to happen within the next five seconds, or you have this huge reward waiting for you. Hmm, I should be thinking, huh, that's interesting, on both of those ends and using my human MFA. I love that. The, the too good to be true, people are kind of learning. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna say we're there, but you know, people are aware of that, but right. that's not Nigerian scam. Like surely, that, that prince cannot have $15 million waiting for me. That I sounds a bit too are, good. They're but used it's the to other that, side. Yeah. yeah, but it's the other side is if it's if it's too dire. Mm -hmm. We don't think about that. Like if, you know, we, I haven't heard anyone use that term before, yeah. too dire to be true. That's great. Um, so just to close this out, in the experience you've had in the organizations you've worked with, what's the, is there one thing in particular that stands out and you'd say, guys, if you can just do this one thing, it would make my job so much harder, which is so much better mm -hmm. for you. I think the one thing is implement a password manager. 
I think that's that's really, really tough for people to wrap their heads around because it seems so obvious and they've heard it so many times. But the majority of the people at your company are reusing their passwords. And that's really easy for me to get in. I mean, it takes me five seconds to figure out which password they're reusing on dhash.com. Um, and then I can get in as if I'm them. We want to avoid that. So implement your password manager, turn on your MFA. If you can do that, you're going to stop me nine times out of 10. Okay, that's great. So final question we have for everyone on this season of the podcast is, what do you wish you'd known 10 years ago? I wish I understood how to keep track of all of the passwords 10 years ago. That's just not something that people talked about as much a decade ago. Um, and I think it led to a lot of heartbreak for the for many people in my life. I'm very thankful that none of, for me, I haven't been breached significantly because of poor decisions that have happened to me in the past. But, you know, 10 years ago, I had family and friends who lost a significant chunk of money, lost access to different accounts. Um, and it was a really big pain point for them. So I wish I could have supported them through that and known how big of a deal it would be for them. You know, that's just, it, we weren't talking about it as much 10 years ago. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time today, Rachel. Of course. Thank you. And now it's over to Beck and David. Thank you, Anthony. We're excited to be back for another month. Today, I'm joined by the lovely David Stockdale, Director of Also. How are you doing, David? Thank you very much, Beck. You're far too kind. And if anybody's lovely, it's you. And, uh, and we're really grateful for all of the fantastic work that you do at Ausert. Because uh, thank you. I think you know. I, I think you quite often are the person who who organises all these great events and and really leads that part of the of what we do as an organisation. So a big thank you. Thank you. You know, I like being behind the scenes. It's, it's where I belong. <laughs> and I, I, love, I love especially the conference, just calling it out at the end and, and trying to get you to come on stage. It's like that moment of horror on my face. Yes. I <laughs> No, I, I do appreciate it. Obviously, I, I like that everyone has a good time at the conference and another, one of the reasons I enjoy doing it is everyone's experience. So that's really good. Mm. Yeah, now we're in the, the second phase of the year where we get to go, now what do we do? It's not conference time. Mm. I mean, it won't be a surprise to many people that we're already working on Ossert 2024, but <laughs> yeah. that, won't, that won't hit your ears for a little while. So if this gives us the opportunity to refocus on getting out to our members and engagement we love seeing everyone at the gold coast but now we can go visit them in their states what some people might not realize is that we've been doing an also member survey during this phase which is really exciting what were you hoping to we were going to achieve with this survey well i think let's just roll it back a little bit i think the the conference is such a great a great event for engagement and, and for those people who are listening and don't have never worked in OSCERT, Beck sort of alluded to the fact that we almost split the year into pre-conference and post-conference. Um, but and pre-conference is all about that building up to the big engagement event. But what's really exciting is about these post-conference engagement things. But it's about engagement. That's the key. The survey has given us an opportunity to just to find out what people want, what our members want, what we're doing well, what we're not doing so well on, what they'd like to see evolve. And, you know, at the conference, I mean, I stood up at the beginning and said, how, how, now how has the cert we've evolved over the years? And we need to keep ourselves really current. And, and currency is also about, well, what do people want? <laughs> so I'm hoping to get, that's what I'm really hoping to get out of it. It's like, well, what are we doing well? That's great to, for the team to know that, that, that they're achieving. And what are the things that our members want? And unlike many commercial organisations, I think also it's, it's unique in the sense that how many organisations go out to its, to its constituency, to its, to its members, to its clients, to its, to, its, whatever, to its customers, whatever we want to call people, and say, what would you like us to do? 
and that is that's so different and that's what one of the things I love about Offset so that's what I'm hoping it is exciting it has been a couple of years since we've had that chance to to really do a, a big survey and this was probably our biggest set we've ever done we've had a lot of learnings from the past so really interesting to to get into that data and and, and it, it features all of our services so it's like wow it's like opening all the old cert doors and 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 checking under every couch and mm-hmm. and under every cushion and, and making sure that we're across everything which i really love so now that we've got that survey closed we're going to be visiting all of our members in their capital cities and you you don't just get to have a drink with us this time we're, we're hoping that you'll come and chat with us and in, in our focus groups so the first one is coming up in a couple of weeks time in sydney which is exciting it is it is exciting i'm looking forward to coming down as well as part of that and again it's about engaging it's about talking to people who are on the front line and as people might know you know i have two roles i've got my ulcert role but I'm also I'm the CISO for the University of Queensland, so I'm one of those members. Uh, and, but it, actually talking to other people and seeing, well, what are their needs? This is going to be a great opportunity to have a bit more one-to-one conversations as well. The conference is like you see lots of people and sometimes you get a one-to-one conversation, but it's just so much happening. This is a great opportunity yeah. for that. And of course, all of our members can't come to the conference. So we're hoping this taps into some other people that don't always get the chance to chat with us face-to-face. We're, we're going to come to you instead of you having to come to us. Yeah, exactly right. So it is exciting. We've got quite a bit of a program of things happening, both in Sydney and then at the other other locations that we're visiting as well. Yes, we've got an ambitious plan to get around the country for the second half of the year. So Sydney's our kickoff point for June, and then we're we're doing one in our home city as well. We haven't done one in Brisbane for a long time, which is great. And then Perth, Adelaide, Melbourne, and Canberra will all get a visit from us before before Santa comes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't start talking about Christmas. Back. Does that scare you a little bit? <laughs> it, it does. It does scare me a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think they're going to be. There's going to be a great opportunities to, to to visit these cities, and we have a lot of members. And and the, the last year when we did a few of these, and I know we're expanding out what we're doing this year, which is fantastic when we actually visit the cities. But when last year we had we had great engagement, mm. and obviously this year we're going to we're going to follow up with that mem- from the member survey and start to test various ideas and have actual conversations around around well what do people want what are the, the focus groups what do they need I, I just think it's going to be great yeah. we want to make sure that people can come to these these events to try to as soon as you see the invites for these things try to get along try to market for it I know everybody's time is really really busy. I know that all of us who work in this particular <laughs> area are always busy and not always driven by the things we want to do. But if we can, if you can make time, we'd really, really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really hoping that we can get some good involvement. That that feedback will really help us shape our future strategies. So it's not just about us having conversations with you, but we're actually really hoping to help do our project timelines and how we do our service improvements. So for us, it's going to be truly making this into an actionable item yeah definitely yeah i mean i think i think the thing is it's going to be it's going to be fantastic the amount of work we're going to get from it it's going to be huge and and that's a good thing but that's, we're ready but, we're, but we're, we're ready yeah we've everybody is very much you know chomping at the bit so to speak to to make the make improvements and make changes and to hear what people want so yeah at the same time if your calendar is busy i can understand focus groups can be a time constraint we are finishing each of those with a, a networking session so people can register just to attend that you know any chance that you have and we're happy to, to have a chat with you over a drink and and understand your needs in a, a more one-on-one style as well so there is that option mm. or stay with us the whole time and, and come along for the journey yeah 
Great. While we're in those cities, we'll also be hosting some executive roundtable sessions, which are really exciting. So we're partnering with IT News, who are friends of us as well. So look out for those invitations as well. And if you've got certain people in your organization that would be like to come along to those, be sure to reach out and we can put you in the right direction with those two. Yeah, and we did have one of those at the at the conference we did. In, in parallel, and it was a great success. So I think these are going to be a, a great opportunity for a different type of conversation. Uh, but a worthwhile conversation. I know we've got we've got we're sponsorship on on those, so we've mm-hmm. got a vendor coming in as part of that. But uh, but it is Ossert who's uh, who's driving these with IT News. So again, hopefully some great conversations. Mm-hmm. And and the more the more we interact and the more we we do converse about our problems and what the solutions are, the better we are. Absolutely, yeah. That sharing and and the commonality between everyone's challenges are, are quite similar, aren't they? They are. They are very similar. Yeah. So, yeah. so there is a discussion topic set for each of those, which are included in the invitation. So you'll know exactly what we're focusing on for that session. And that might be different in your organization of who that appeals to. But yeah, hopefully one of those options is a, a way to engage with us as we're in your capital city. Mm. Excellent. Looking forward to it. As, you, <laughs> as I said earlier, Beck, when we were just chatting beforehand, it's going to be a busy second half of the year, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a great one. Yeah, really excited. Um, yeah, we'll hopefully see you all face to face very soon. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Share Today, Save Tomorrow, the OzCert podcast. And thanks to Rachel and to Beck and David. We'll be back next month with the next episode of Season 3 of Share Today, Save Tomorrow with a new guest and a look into the Australian cybersecurity scene. If you want to know more about OzCert, be sure to visit ozcert.org.au.